Am I the only one who's become obsessed with petrol prices? <laughs> is, is, it, is it just me? Um, this whole thing that's going on in Adelaide at the moment, where petrol prices go really high, and then they slowly come down, and they come down, and they come down, and they come down, and then they jump up really high again. Am I the only one? And so this is the way my world works, and this is a, a sad admission, but I kind of... I'm, I track these, these prices. When I drive around, I look at them and I watch them coming down. I watch them coming down. And when they get low, I try and fill up and I try and keep the car full so I can refill my car every day because uh, it's low and I've, I've driven a little bit so I refill it and I refill it with, with my goal being that when they jump up again, my tank is full and I can last and not have to fill up until they come down again. But it's kind of a game, isn't it? Because you never know how low they're gonna go. When they're coming down, you never know when down is down, you know, you, and, and so you're like, do I fill up now or do I, do I wait a couple of days for it to come even lower? Because of course, if you wait too long, you can think it's gonna come down another cent or two, and there you go, you get up in the morning, you drive to the service station, and it's jumped up 30 cents, and you know, you're know you on track for a terrible day. No, not really, but um, this has become a thing for me, and I, I'm guessing I'm not alone, um, that we have this bizarre sort of obsession with playing the petrol price game. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Surviving and Thriving, and we're talking uh, about... Uh, the book of the Bible that we call 1 Peter. We're walking through the whole of 1 Peter, beginning at the beginning. We're going to end at the end. 1 Peter, we said last week, is a letter that was uh, written by the disciple Peter, the one you read about in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You read about in the life of Jesus. And he wrote a letter to a number of churches, written about 30 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he writes to a number of churches He's writing to churches who are doing it tough. Uh, Roman Emperor Nero has decided to pick on Christians. And he's made it law that you can discriminate against Christians. He's made it law that you can be, uh, when I say mean and nasty, that you can physically assault Christians, uh, that that's okay. In fact, he's made it law that you can kill Christians. Um, and so there are local provinces, a bit like our sort of uh, states, I guess, and the rulers of those local areas can decide to do with Christians whatever they like. And so many of these tiny churches, uh, this is only 30 years after the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and so these tiny churches um, that are just meeting in, in, in homes or in, in little community spaces, they are living under attack. And so Peter, who's a, a key leader in the early church, he's um, of the, the 12 disciples and the other early leaders, he's sort of risen to the top and he's a key leader. And he writes a letter to a number of churches in an area to encourage them. And last week we looked at his introduction to the letter where he calls the readers of the letter, he calls them chosen. And he reminds people that God has chose them. Um, that because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that, uh, that those chosen people now have the Holy Spirit of God, literally have the Spirit of God living inside them. And his point is that you are not alone. His point is that you are not forgotten. That those of you who are suffering, that those of you who are doing it are tough, that you are not alone, that you are not forgotten, that you are chosen. 
And today we're going to, um, to go into the next part of the first chapter um, and to jump into Peter's opening thoughts. Have you got your Bible? Open it to 1 Peter. Um, we said before, if you try, struggle to find 1 Peter, because it is a small book, start from the back of your Bible. Um, go from the back, you've got Revelation. And then as you start going forward, you've got a number of really short books or letters, uh, Jude and 1 and 2 and 3 John. And then you've got Peter, uh, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Um, of course, if you've got a digital device, it's really easy. You can just sort of dial it up and, uh, and follow it that way. And I want to say, um, this is definitely a series to be bringing your Bibles to. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, uh, download it on a digital device uh, and bring it with you because you'll want to you'll follow along um, with, uh, with the scripture and with the story. So um, the way this is going to work today is I'm going to read the whole text right, that we're, uh, that we're going through today, which is a big chunk. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to go back and talk through it uh, and, and then get to what this means for us today. So we're beginning in uh, 1 Peter 1. Um, uh, the book's called 1 Peter, but then it's chapter 1, so it's 1 Peter 1. Um, and we're in beginning to read in verse 3. <clears throat> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials these have come so that the these have come so that the proven genuineness of our faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined through fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. That's long. I know it's a lot of scripture, um, but we're going to go back to the top and jump straight in and see if we can sort of make some sense of what Peter's saying here. Peter starts by saying, praise be. Now, I don't know about you, but... That would seem to me to be a little confusing. Now, remember, he's writing to a church that is suffering. He's writing to people who are in the middle of, of, of tough times. He's writing to people who are literally being killed just because they believe in Jesus. So, I mean, if it's me, I'm thinking, why doesn't he start the letter saying something like, I'm so sorry to hear about it? Why wouldn't he start the letter saying, it's terrible what's happening to you. Why wouldn't he start saying, 
you poor people. <laughs> but he starts saying, praise be to God. I mean, I kind of read this and I think, who would be praising God in this situation? I mean, shouldn't the people, shouldn't the people be cursing God? Shouldn't they be doubting God? Shouldn't they be questioning God? You know, shouldn't their first thoughts be, God, what are you doing? We're trying to be good to you and we're getting killed for that. And here Peter comes and says, you guys should praise God. Now, if you're thinking like that, if that's kind of your thinking, I want to tell you, it kind of gets worse. Like Peter goes even further than that because in his next sentence, he says, in his great mercy. In his great mercy. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? In his, like, like, mercy is if people would stop killing us right now. Okay, That would be merciful, wouldn't it? Uh, mercy would be making my life safe. Mercy would be me being able to say to the people at my workplace, I'm a Christian, and not risk that they're going to drag me outside and beat me to death. Right? That would be mercy. Mercy would be taking away the difficult things. So in that sense, I go, what do you mean mercy? There's no mercy happening here. In fact, this is what we want from God. We want mercy. And here's Peter writing, in his great mercy. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's verses 3 and 4. And I want to say, wow, wow, wow. Did you read that? Like, did you see that? This is like Peter's starting off his letter by saying, thank God, praise God, that you have a relationship with Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He, he, he's saying, God is so merciful, God is so kind, that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you and I, if you call yourself a Christian, the Christians that you're writing to, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that you Christians have what he calls a living hope. That is the mercy he's talking about. He's not talking about outward circumstances. He's talking about something that's happening inside these Christians, inside these early believers. And he's saying that God has given us an inheritance. And I mean, what's an inheritance? An inheritance is something that is set aside for you. An inheritance, I mean, we use that word today. An inheritance is something that's promised for you that you kind of have now, but you're going to get later. You know, we talk about an inheritance usually in terms of a will, don't we? Where a, a grandparent might say to you, hey, in my inheritance, we pick on you, Micah, and a grandparent might say to you, hey, Micah, in my inheritance, you're going to get my car. Right? So you don't have it now, but it's promised to you, and it's something that you're going to get later. And Peter's saying that we have an inheritance. The Christian people have an inheritance, and he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about that thing that is coming after this life. He's saying, you have an inheritance. Through what Jesus has done, there is an inheritance. You've got it now. It's promised to you, and it's going to come your way. Peter's saying, if you're a Christian, thank God 
for the eternal life that you have through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He says that is something that will never spoil or fade or perish. He's saying that can never be taken from you. And I want to tell you, this is the core of this whole book. This is the core of Peter's message. Read the rest of verse 4. He says, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. He's saying that this inheritance, this eternal life, is like God is protecting that for you, that that is being protected. And in other words, he's saying, you know, you might be, you might be reading this letter, uh, people who are being killed, who are being beaten for your faith, you might be reading this letter and you might be thinking, God's abandoned me. God's not protecting me. God's, God's left me out there. And he's saying, no, no, you, the thing that is most valuable to you, the thing that is most important to you, God has protected and that is this living hope, this eternal life that you have. He's saying, God has protected that for you, that inheritance for you. That can never be taken away. No matter what's going to happen to you in this life, that is saved up for you and it is waiting for you, totally protected by the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God to you. Verse 6, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined through fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to, this is so good. right? He's saying even though you have to, might have to suffer for a little while and understand... When he says a little while, you might read that and think five minutes or this week. No, what he's meaning, he's talking about this life, right? Because he, he's contrasting this life to the rest of eternity for you. And he's saying, even though in this life, this is what we call a little while, this like this flesh and blood that I've got here, he's saying, even though this little while you might have to suffer in this life, he's saying these sufferings, in a way, they're going to prove the genuineness of your faith. Do you see where he says that there? They will prove the genuineness of your faith. He's saying when Christian people suffer, it shows how valuable their faith actually is. He's saying like, when people see the joy that you have in the middle of suffering, this is what he's writing to, this, to these early churches. He's saying when people see the joy that you have in the midst of suffering, it will make other people say, wow. Their faith must be so good. Does that make sense? Like, if, if they're still holding on to this faith, if they still think, look how bad things are going, if their faith is better than these bad things, their faith must be amazing. So, so your, your joy in the face of these sufferings proves how amazing your faith is. The goodness of our faith is better than the badness of our situation. Right? He's saying to these early Christians, no matter how bad it gets, this, what you have to, might have to suffer for a little while, no matter what's happening in this life, the goodness of your faith is better than the badness of your current situation. Verse 8, 
goes on, he says, though you, have seen, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And remember we said last week, this letter is written about 30 years after the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we also said that this letter is written to a bunch of churches uh, in what we now call Turkey. But the point of that is that the people he's writing to, they never actually saw Jesus. Right? They, they weren't living 30 years before in and around Jew, Jerusalem. That They're the people who actually got to see Jesus live and got to see the miracles firsthand. None of the people that he's writing to, virtually none of the people that he's writing to, ever got to see Jesus. And he's saying, I know you haven't seen Jesus, and even though you can't see him right now, he's saying the knowledge, the understanding you have of eternal life fills you with, and I love these words, inexpressible and glorious joy. Fills you with inexpressible and glorious joy. Uh, verse 10, Peter finishes these opening thoughts by saying, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted, I know this is a lot, just try to follow this, was pointed when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Oh. That might seem complicated. Let me try and explain what Peter's trying to say here. The Bible that Peter had is what we call the Old Testament. Right? Peter didn't have any of these New Testament writings because he's living in the middle of this time. So for the people that Peter's writing to, they've got all these words of what we call the prophets. He's got 2,000 years of writings of people who are all talking about the promise of a coming Messiah. He's got all these people and he's saying there's all these promises in the Bible. People who, as he said, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out who and when and where this promised saviour, this promised Messiah would come. Okay, so for thousands of years, people have been living with this hope that one day, believing that one day, God would send a saviour to make all things right. That's what the writings of the prophets are all about. And so people have got all these writings and they're saying, one day will come, one day will come, one day will come. And he's saying that many of those prophets realise that actually the one day they were talking about would never happen in their life, that it would happen in the lives of someone in the future. And Peter's saying, now is that time. Does that make sense? He, he, he's using this as another way to encourage people to say, you know, for thousands of years, people have been waiting for the time that you now live in. For thousands of years, people have been saying, one day, one day, God will send a saviour. And Peter's saying to these people, you're living in the day. You're living in the day. It's another way for him to say, for him to say, sort of, how blessed are you? How fortunate are you to live in this place where you know the reality 
of Jesus. Where the things that people have been waiting for and hoping for, for all these years, that you get to experience that. In other words, he's saying that the suffering and the hard thing, they're nothing compared to, yeah, compared to the fact that you get to experience what people have been waiting thousands of years, just hoping and dreaming to experience, and you get to experience that. It's a crazy way of saying, I know you're suffering, and I know this is tough, but man, how fortunate are you? How blessed are you? So how do we put all this together in 2021? Because this is a letter that Peter is writing to these churches a couple of thousand years ago. Well, I want to suggest to you that Peter wants you to know that even in your toughest moments, a follower of Jesus has reason to live with inexpressible and glorious joy. No matter how bad things get to you, you have reason to live with an unbelievable and amazing joy inside of you and spilling out from you because of the eternal life that Jesus has made possible for you through his death and resurrection on the cross. That's Peter's core message to us today. He calls this a living hope and an inheritance. He's saying no matter what happens around you, this hope, this life can never be taken from you. No matter how bad things get for you here, no, no matter you know, what you think about your current life, no matter what's going to happen in your future, that you have a promised inheritance from God through Jesus and it is unbelievably good. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Here's the thing I'm trying to get myself to understand. This isn't just words. Right? This isn't Peter's version of the power of positive thinking. Okay? This isn't this isn't a pep talk from some first century kind of, you know, rah rah, let's all, you know, jump up and down at the front and this this is not that. This isn't a nice way to cheer you up. And most importantly, this isn't a feeling. Peter wants you to know that this is a truth. Peter wants you to know that this is something that you understand and you make a decision about believing. Does that difference make sense? He's saying this isn't something you feel. This isn't just kind of a nice idea. This is a truth. He's putting forward a truth and saying you have a choice to believe this is true or not. This is a joy that you make a choice to believe in, not a feeling that you wait to happen to you. Peter wants his readers to know, he wants you to know, he wants me to know, that if you're a follower of Jesus, and not just a vague believer in Jesus, this is, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, if you are looking to try and follow his example and his way of life day after day after day, then the eternal life that Jesus has promised you is the best thing ever. 
like actually is. Do you know what I mean? Not just a oh, kind of a good thing. He's saying this is actually the best thing that can ever and has ever and will ever happen to you. He's saying no matter what happens around you, no matter how bad COVID gets, no, no, matter, no matter what job you're in and how bad it's going, no matter if you don't have a job, no matter how bad your relationships are going, no matter whether you've got a relationship or not, no matter what happens to your finances, no matter what happens to your health. Now remember, he's writing to people, like before you start going, well, you don't know how bad my health is. He's writing to people who are being dragged off the street, they're being tied onto poles, and they're being set alight to give light to people's night parties. There were no street lights. And so when wealthy people wanted to have parties at night, they would drag criminals and Christians and other people who the law said you can do this to, they would tie them to poles and they would physically set them alight so that their party could go on after dark. And Peter's saying, no matter what's happening to you, you think, like, no matter what kind of suffering... No matter how tough your health and your finances and your relationship and whatever, no matter how tough that stuff is for you, the reality of the living hope that lives inside you is better than that. And I want to tell you, this is the gospel of Christianity. This is, this is the good news. You know, when, when, when Christians say, you know, believe the good news, this is the good news. This is what following Jesus is all about. This is why I said last week, this is why the book of 1 Peter is so good. Peter wants to remind you of the good news. And I want to suggest, Peter doesn't say this, and this is a bit of a guess by me, but I think Peter knows that people tend to take this for granted. I think people know, Peter knows that people tend to forget this and they tend to start focusing on the bad things that happen instead of focusing on this. I think Peter knows that people tend to start focusing on their feelings rather than the truth that they know in their mind. And I want to tell you, I do this all the time. Right? And I'm a pretty regular guy, so I'm guessing that some of you do this too. You hear this and you say, well, I know that it's true, but you know, that's, where that's where my mind goes, I know this is true, but you don't know what my boss is like. I know that it's true, but you don't know what it's like living with my husband or my wife. I know that it's true, but you don't know the pain that I'm in. You don't know what it's like to live with what I'm living with. And it's true, I don't know what you're living with. And, and of course, you don't know what I'm living with. And, and none of us know what someone over there is living with. But that's not Peter's point. Peter's point isn't that what you're living with is better than I'm living with or worse than I'm living with. Peter's point is that it actually doesn't matter what you're living with. Peter's point is that there is no pain in this life that, the, that can compare with the joy and the wonder and the awesomeness of eternal life. Peter's saying there's no pain in this life. There's nothing in this life that is so bad that it's going to outweigh the joy and the wonder of eternal life with Jesus. He's saying that the joy of knowing Jesus 
the good news of eternal life with him, this inheritance that he talks about, this is so good, this is so good, that even the worst things can't compare to it. They're nothing in comparison to it. It's like being a billionaire, follow this, it's like being a billionaire and being upset that you didn't fill up, fill up with petrol before the price jumped up again. Right? Imagine you're talking to a billionaire. I'm a real billionaire, right? More money than they could ever imagine. And the person starts complaining to you that they should have filled their car up yesterday, uh, but they got busy and they went to fill it up today. And now, look, the petrol price has jumped up 30 cents and it's cost them an extra $5 to fill their tank. I mean, you would say to them, it's annoying. I get it's annoying, right? I get it's annoying and it's cost you $5, but you would say to that person, but seriously, look at your bank balance. Wouldn't you? You would say to them, I get it's a bit annoying. I'm not saying it's not. But you would say to them, but look at your bank balance in comparison. Right? You know, honestly, it's really nothing in comparison. It's a little annoying, but it's nothing to kind of give up financially over, is it? Because you've got a billion dollars in the bank. That's like what Peter is saying to these early Christians and what I think he wants to say to our lives today. He's saying, no matter what, no matter how bad things go for you, the bad, no matter how high you think the bad gets, it will never get anywhere near the level of joy and wonder and awesomeness that is a life lived with Jesus, that is eternal life promised to you for this life and beyond this life forever. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, the question for you is simple. Do you understand this living hope that is available to you? You know, do you understand how valuable that is? Do you understand the joy of having the Holy Spirit live in you that Peter talks about? Because if you don't, and I don't see this with any level of judgment, if you don't, you might have missed the essence of the Christian message. You might still believe in God and, and you might still like church and all of that stuff, but, but you might have missed the essence of the good news that Peter's talking about here. And if you're still exploring Jesus, if you're not at a place yet where you're saying, yeah, look, I kind of consider myself a Christian, then Peter's words are an invitation to you. Effectively, Peter's saying, do you want this? Do you want this kind of joy to get through difficult times? He's saying, because you can make a choice to believe in Jesus, to turn away from sort of doing life your way and to turn toward Jesus and to follow his path for you in life. In verse 8, he said, even though you do not see him, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That the path, that there is a pathway open to each of us to be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And that pathway is to believe in Jesus. Peter's going to go on in the rest of the letter, um, spoiler alert for the coming weeks. He's going to give us a number of other angles on surviving tough times. 
But he wants us to know this is sort of his number one. This is him saying, I'm not leaving the best till last. You know, I'm going to put the most important right up front. This is his number one encouragement is to say, how good is it to know Jesus? You want to know how to survive and thrive in tough times? There's a bunch of things I'm going to tell you, but there's nothing as important as this. Know Jesus. Know Jesus and receive the inheritance, the living hope that the death and the resurrection of Jesus makes available to all people. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, available to all people. Life with Christ, life in God, is better than the worst things that the world can ever throw at you. When you know this life, when you discover this life, when you live in life, you'll realise that it is better than the worst things that can ever happen to you or around you. Even death, and this is Peter's point, even death is nothing in comparison to the joy of eternal life. You know, this is the whole point. It's like, well, you go, things are bad, things are bad, things are bad. Peter's going, I know, even if it's bad, bad, bad to the point of death, even that is nothing in comparison to the joy and the wonder of eternal life. And as we often say in this church, um, if you don't know that joy, you can start today. And so that to people who are here, to people who are watching us online, you can start that life, that journey today. You can stop doing your thing. That's what the Bible calls repentance, to acknowledge your sin and to say, I've been living my life my way. And you can make a decision today to say, I want to stop doing that and I want to turn around and I want to accept what Jesus has done for me and to follow the life, uh, the path that he has for my life. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a minute where you can make that decision for yourself. But I want to say too, for those of us who are Christians, who would say, we've made that decision, we've sort of crossed that line, so to speak, that when we pray together in a moment, that this might be a prayer for you to refocus, to recommit yourself and your life to this way of thinking and to this understanding. Because the truth is, many we do take this for granted, don't we? Those of, us, those of us who call ourselves Christians, we do forget this. We do, get, we, we do get tied up with our own problems and we get focused on our own problems and we forget the inexpressible and glorious joy that has been made available to us from God through Christ. So with all that said, I'm going to invite us to pray. We're going to pray as we always do. We're going to pray aloud and pray together so that no one in this church prays alone. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for eternal life. That Jesus' death and resurrection makes possible for me today. Today I repent of my sin and I accept this new life. Come and fill me with inexpressible and glorious joy. Today I give my life to you. 
life now and forever. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Amen.